What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, Joe Burrow is human after all. Well, I would argue that actually Aaron Donald is just superhuman. Also true. Facts. This is not wrong. The Super Bowl was something that I got great enjoyment from. And I, as much as I would have loved to have seen Joe Burrow win a Super Bowl, continue this unbelievable story, I was just glad that we had a good game. Yep. It was awesome to see Matthew Stafford celebrate yet another national championship for Georgia. Kudos to Georgia for being able to, to get it done again on the big stage. The haters said it couldn't happen. <laughs> Adam Schefter said that it couldn't happen with that weird tweet that I think was deleted. Don't know what exactly that was or what's going on with Adam Schefter or anything. But He's probably going through um, it since Brady retired. I, yeah, I don't know. He's been weird kind of before then. He's been <laughs> all over the place. That's a different subject for a different time, but Super Bowl was great. It was absolutely awesome. We're recording this on Monday, and we have seen all the takes come out since then. Don't have a whole lot of Super Bowl thoughts I really wanted to get to. I made the not-so-bold prediction that it was going to be the best SEC quarterback versus SEC quarterback Super Bowl to date, which was not saying much because (laughs) the first three kind of sucked, and this one definitely didn't even if it had the too many flags at the end for my liking, but it was a great game. Or were you, did you find yourself disappointed as somebody who wanted to obviously see Joe Burrow continue this unbelievable rise, or was it just kind of by the end of it like, yeah, you know what, that was entertaining, and I have no problems with that? Yeah, honestly, man, they're so ahead of schedule. Um, I had a great time for the Super Bowl. We had a bunch of people over for like basically one of my buddies' birthdays, so we were like, you know, playing all these like just really fun games and stuff. And so, yeah, I think like overall it's like, yeah, if the Bengals had been like a one seed, if Burrow was, you know, 32, if it was like, oh, like you may not get yeah. back or whatever, but it's like, they're so ahead of schedule. And you can obviously see why this was not a Super Bowl team. I mean, like if they had won, you know what I'm saying? If Samaj P. Ryan actually makes an athletic play in fourth down there at the end, if they, if they had won, it turns into, well, now Joe Burrow would have been the most sacked quarterback. That would have won the Super Bowl while his team gave up the most sacks in Super Bowl history. And a different playoff game would have had the most sacks in a playoff win in NFL history. So, like, you know why, what's wrong with this team. It's not like it was shocking to see how that went down, especially at the end. I just can't believe they picked Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. Let me be the first to say, <laughs> <laughs> hearing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was a, a T. Higgins catch on the goal line at the end of the first quarter away from winning 500 bucks. Really? That would have been nice. My friend was yeah. in the exact same situation and he targeted him too and he like dropped it or it just wasn't wow. online. He was, he was freaking out, that's really funny. <laughs> I didn't have the property thing. I was in, as I said the other day, I was in I was in squares and so like at the time when we recorded on Thursday, I didn't know what, what my square was gonna be. Yeah. And so um, sure enough, you know, my, my buddy who put it all together, he, he texted me the picture and I, seven, seven. That, that I'm like, all right, there's a legit chance. And so I was really excited for it. Even when I decided to do the really dumb thing of looking back at every single Super Bowl to find the last time that a quarter ended with seven and seven. Mm-hmm. And it was like 15 years ago, surprisingly. Um, so then that lowered my expectations. But then when, when Jamar had that long catch at the end of the first quarter, mm-hmm. I was telling this to my brother, my heart rate was like through the roof because it was one minute left they basically had first and goal was like first and 10 from the 11 or something. So basically first and goal. And I was like, hey, 500 bucks would be sweet. I put in 25 <laughs> bucks. It was a sunk cost two months ago. That would have been awesome, but did not happen. Oh, well, it was still a great game. Mm-hmm. I was still very, very entertained by it. 
And when your team isn't in it, I think that's all you can really ask for. And eat a lot of food, of course. Big fact. Which we did. Yeah. We have lots to get to today. We have the great Alyssa Lang coming up in a bit. She talked about her experience covering that wild Auburn-Arkansas game last week. Mm -hmm. She got into a little bit of Shane Beamer things, a whole lot more with Alyssa. We've also got a Valentine's Day edition of Figuring It Out. But first, Will, since we last spoke, another massive development on the plains. Yes. <laughs> We can, we can call it a development that Brian Harson is indeed keeping his job and he will get a second season to be Auburn's head coach. This was not some media narrative. I saw some people saying that this was real, which was why you had the university release multiple statements about that. Mm -hmm. um, had they found any easy way to fire him with cause, Brian Harson would be gone. Oh, yes. But instead... They did not have the dirt on him that some, some, I'm not saying all, they did not have the dirt on him that some were hoping for, and they had no choice but to keep him and to come out with that statement that we got at the end of last week. If there were skeletons in his closet, they would have come out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Instead of just these, these rumors that were just kind of all over the place, we never saw any sort of factual backing with them. And instead, we found out that some people don't like Brian Harson, and some people do which we just got to see all of that sort of aired out and what a week it was. However this turns out, we will likely look back on this week as the defining time for Brian Harrison at Auburn. And we'll say this was either when it all turned around and maybe Auburn really got aligned and it realized that it can't continue to operate in this fashion without setting its program back, or this was a little peel behind the onion and Auburn essentially gave us this look into what goes on with the higher-ups and we found out that some really important people don't have the highest opinion of Brian Harson, and he's just a dead man walking. Mm -hmm. If I'm an Auburn fan, obviously I'm selling myself on the first scenario, right? And I'm saying, hey, why can't this be like 2004 after Jetgate? Talk about a, a brutal thing to come back from. And Tommy Tuberville, with his back against the wall, delivered this 13-0 season. And as we know, this has been pointed out by many, if there's ever a program who can come out of something like this and move on like it never happened, it's Auburn. Will, what do we always say um, as it relates to Auburn and their chances to achieve something? Anything. Just never bet on Auburn in any direction, really. Just, just don't. Whenever you think you have it figured out, it's just not worth it. I totally get that argument. And if I'm an Auburn fan, that is my optimistic outlook for this season. Not 13-0, but just them kind of having this us-against-the-world type of mantra. And if you see Brian Harson kind of getting the celebration that he did at the basketball game, you're like, all right, you know, if clearly people support him, and it's cool to kind of see that. Mm -hmm. I would be convincing myself that we're all just about to witness this improbable run if I'm an Auburn fan. But <laughs> if I'm living in reality, a few things would give me pause. As of this recording, which 2.38, Monday afternoon, Valentine's Day, gonna get to that in a little bit here. As of this recording, Brian Harson still does not have an offensive coordinator. We know, we know that the guy that you could not well, you remembered his name, yes. but you needed to be reminded which his name was. Austin Davis. There you go. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, Austin Davis left after six weeks. It'll be offensive coordinator number three for Brian Harson. And how much this past week impacts Harson's ability to be uh, 
how much it impacts his ability to make a hire, it, it remains to be seen. Because when it came out, all this stuff about Harson during that week, uh, about where the, these discrepancies were, we find out that Harson didn't even have total clearance from his administration of what he could pay some of these coordinators. And they, the alignment was just not there in that department either. And that's the frustrating thing if you're trying to come up with ways in which Brian Harson was being thrown under the bus. It's hard to go out there and make big time hires if you don't have that kind of support. In a perfect world, Auburn recognizes that they need to go out make a splashy offensive coordinator hire who gets a fully guaranteed contract because that's probably what it's going to take to sell someone on that after Harson fired his original offensive coordinator, fired his receivers coach a month into the season. Not exactly the most stable place in the world. So you're going to have to sweeten the deal just a little bit, especially after the week that's been. Another thing that would give me pause. Brian Harson has three power five transfers in his quarterback room. TJ Finley transferred last year, mm -hmm. this offseason. Zach Calzada transfers from Texas A&M. Robbie Ashford transfers from Oregon. Robbie Ashford has yet to play a snap in two years after he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, 2020 class. So he's the same year as TJ Finley. Hoover legend, Robbie Ashford. Let's not forget. Right, of course. Uh, did he, was he a, um, somebody who threw passes to George Pickens back in the day? I know they, they weren't the same class, but did they, they probably had some sort of connection. Yeah, I'm sure there were like some passes between. I don't think he was starting at the same time, but they were on the team at the same time. Right, okay. So Hoover legend, that's how we will refer to him yes. in the future. That's perfectly fine. If Brian Harson is content with that as his quarterback room with also D Davis, and then you've also got the true freshman that they just, that they just signed in this 2022 class, if Brian Harson is content with that, I think he's setting himself up for failure. I've got a, another thought on the quarterback situation that I want to get to in a, in a little bit here, a little bit more of a kind of a, a shot out of left field that I want to see if you're on board for, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute here. In 2004, post-Jetgate, where Auburn has this remarkable season, mm -hmm. Auburn at least had a future first-round pick at quarterback in Jason Campbell. Gosh, that, of course- so underrated, man. I'm just a Jason Campbell stand, underrated. He's a great player. He's a great player. And he didn't put up necessarily monster numbers because in case you forgot Ronnie and Cadillac, when you have those guys in the backfield, yeah, you're going to be a little bit more of a run first team. And oh, by the way, you had the number one defense in the country in, 2000, in 2004. So you're not going to be this pass happy offense, but Jason Campbell still was able to succeed in this system. And he had at least shown some promise in those first two years as a starter to make you think, all right, mm -hmm. we got something that that's, that's, we, we feel pretty good about. I would argue that Auburn does not have that at this point. If you feel good about TJ Finley or Zach Calzada or even Robbie Ashford, you should. maybe you're seeing things. Yeah, you, just <laughs> you just shouldn't. I mean, I don't tell you, dude. You're, you're seeing things that, that, quite frankly, I have not more power to you. Mm -hmm. From a roster construction standpoint, the comp to the 2014, it just isn't there. The competition factor, that's also not there. 2004, you did not have the juggernauts where they're at currently, like where Alabama's at, where Georgia's at. You also didn't have people spending like Texas A&M is in recruiting and being able to, to, to build that program up in that sort of way. And I just think that the SEC was in a much different place in 2004 than it's at right now, right? Like that's, this was before the national champion streak national championship streak started and before the SEC became what it is today. Okay. Having said that, could I see 5-0 and happening for this Auburn team? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. First five games at home. 
I'm not the first person to point that out, not the last. Our guy Bear Felica tweeted this out. Close your eyes, you can picture this exact scenario that he tweeted out. Auburn's 5-0, having beat LSU, having beat Penn State, college game day, going to Athens, Deep South's oldest rivalry, Pollock and Herbie, they're, they're praising Auburn. They're saying, good for Auburn, good for Brian Harson for being able to get on the same page and figure this thing out. They're top 15, maybe borderline top 15 at that time, because I don't think they're gonna start in the top 25. But look at them, look what they were able to do. And Auburn is suddenly defying the odds. And here goes Auburn, typical. This, we should have seen this coming a mile away. But that schedule is brutal. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely brutal. I think there are six top 25 teams, at least preseason top 25 teams on that slate. And that's, you know, including the likes of Ole Miss and Arkansas, A&M. You can kind of go back and forth with a couple of those other teams in there and wait and see how that plays out. I think Penn State will probably be preseason top 25 as well. But that part kind of feels like shades of 2018 LSU, right? That year, we go into year two with Ed Ogeron. Mm -hmm. And we know Joe Oliva hired him. Joe Oliva went out on a limb to hire him. Mm -hmm. And there were people at LSU that did not think he made the right decision. And there was a little bit of this buyer's remorse. So he's going into year two, showing up on every hot seat in the world. And we sort of downgraded that 2018 LSU team because of, hey, they have this coach who's maybe in over his head. They have this schedule that's just gonna chew him up and spit him out. It's gonna be really difficult. And Auburn potentially has the ability this year to do what that 2018 LSU team did. But, the other part of that that has to happen, if we're gonna have that conversation at all, I think Brian Harson should go out and get JT Daniels. I think that JT Daniels, who is going to be transferring from Georgia after he gets his undergraduate in the spring semester, that's what Mike Griffith has been reporting, that that's when he will really ramp up the, the visits and all those different things. That's when he'll make his decision. I think Brian Harson should go out and get JT Daniels because it's better than what you got. <laughs> to borrow the phrase that Scott Frost has been scrutinized for, for the way that he treated the Joe Burrow deal back in 2018 when he entered the transfer portal and Ed Odron said got to, get, got to land Burrow with that 2018 squad. Is he better than what we got? Mm -hmm. JT Daniels is better than what you got. I don't care, Auburn fans, if you think he's overrated. I don't care if you're sick about hearing him being about him being a five-star guy or Gatorade National Player of the Year as a junior. He is better than what you got. You can't sit here today and tell me TJ Finley, Zach Calzada are better than JT Daniels, Robbie Ashford, who maybe eventually will be there. But if I'm Brian Harson, I'm going into this year thinking, my job's on the line. I don't care about who I piss off in that quarterback room. And by the way, <laughs> to be clear, all three of those guys. Pisses off ever, so. <laughs> you, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Win football games, figure everything else out later. All three of those quarterbacks transferred as undergrads. Mm -hmm. So theoretically, yeah, they can bolt. They'd have to sit a year if they wanted to do that. You're getting JT Daniels to be your quarterback in 2022. And that's, that's it. You're assuming that after year five in college, he's going to be gone to the NFL. And if things work out perfectly for you, that's exactly what the case would be. So from that perspective, I'm looking at this, if I'm Brian Harson, just like, much like Ed Ogeron looked at that situation in 2018 and said, I don't care if Justin McMillan transfers. I don't care if we lose Llewellyn Narcisse. I want to get a quarterback because if I don't, I'm gone. 
and I can't take that risk. Brian Harson can't take that risk. If he's lining up TJ Finley, if he's lining up Zach Calzada, he's telling the world, I have still not figured out that I need to have more talent at the most important position. JT Daniels allows you to do some things. JT Daniels gives you a compliment to that backfield duo that should be one of the best in college football with Tank Bixby and Jarquez Hunter. All right, I would look at those, those guys if I'm JT Daniels and say, okay, I know they don't have a lot of pieces at receiver right now. They dealt with a lot of it in the transfer portal. They still need to be able to get some talent there, which they theoretically could in the spring. But I would say that backfield duo, that's promising. Getting a chance to play in the SEC, the, the conference that you've had to game plan against for the last two years, that's promising. Getting to face your former team, promising. I wouldn't hate all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I would walk into that situation knowing that an opportunity would be there if I'm JT Daniels. Before I move on to the, maybe the most important question of this entire deal, am I crazy for thinking that there could be a fit on both sides? Well, we don't know what the, we don't know what the fit is on Auburn's side because they don't have coordinators. So, I mean, they could hire Paul Johnson, really. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I, yeah, I think uh, it's funny <clears throat> that you made the LSU 2018 comp because the one that falls, flies off the page for me is the 2020 comp um, where basically, you know, had a different, um, had a different AD, right? And Coach O was kind of like, um, or sorry, 2021, 2021, my bad. Uh, when they come off that hard season and Coach O had to fill these coordinator positions and nobody wanted to come work for LSU because they knew that Coach O was kind of a dead man walking. And it really, that in itself, that kind of knife in the back for the administration really hurt Coach O long-term because he had to bring in Jake Peets, who was maybe the worst offensive coordinator I've ever seen in my life, was just so in over his head. And then Durante Jones was fine eventually, but he figured out about game eight, and by that point it was kind of over with. So in that way, I really feel bad, as much as you hate to feel bad for Brian Harson, I feel bad for Brian Harson because there's almost no shot he's gonna be able to pick from his tier one or even tier two of guys that he's gonna to wanna to bring in. And when you wanna land a transfer quarterback, they can go anywhere. You know what I'm saying? There's, I mean, if they can go to Auburn, they can go to any school, uh, you know? And so point being, it's gonna be hard to make that first phone call, you know what I'm saying? Try to be the first, that's what guys try to do. It's like, it's like free agents. It's like, right, we're gonna to try to be the first phone call for Daniels. We're gonna be the guy who like values him the most. It's like, well, you want your OC to paint this vision of him. And we saw it, you know, Matt House talking to Harold Perkins is like, hey, here's how we see you in our system this is how you know you need to get the guy having that conversation that guy isn't brian harson it's somebody who i don't know is, is obviously working somewhere else right now and there's no concept of who jt daniels how he fits in auburn so that, that's my only point is that it's all all of this stuff is so alignment based and we've seen these certain schools that have yes. come up and, and then immediately fallen back down and that's one thing that you've definitely hit on that i agree with is the one thing that alabama has done really well is gotten the boosters to just get the heck out of the way and Auburn has never figured that out. And that's the situation they're in right now where, and it's the same situation LSU was in to be clear, but it's like, they are basically sandbagging him and hoping he fails. So they have a reason to fire him. And so when you do that, you know, you can't go get Tom Herman. You can't go get the guy that would be able to lure JT Daniels. And, you know, sadly, you know, all these other offensive coordinators, offensive head-minded coaches are obviously, they've already gone through a whole recruiting cycle or two at this point. So I, I feel bad for them, honestly, because it's kind of a lame duck season. It can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're hiring for that position, that, that's a big part of it. How are you going to be able to pitch future players to come play in your offense? Brian Harson needs to recognize that, that that is an important message and his, his offensive coordinator, whoever that is, needs to have a very clear identity of what they're about 
and the way that they can sell themselves, the way that they sell themselves to him and now the way that they're gonna sell themselves to people who are in the transfer portal because that's gonna be a big part of roster construction. It yep. just is. Like it or not, that is huge. And we talked about it, it's, it's, a different, it's a different sort of comp here, but like as much as we all kind of look back, we're like, oh yeah, Wando Robinson going home to, to Kentucky, uh, that example that, that I brought up before and how it makes sense and all the different factors that went into it, it was committed out of high school and like all these different things before he flipped to Nebraska. But being able to sit down with your coordinator and hear the exact vision, mm -hmm. this is what you're going to be in this offense. I think that grad transfers in general have such a different perspective on that. Yep. And someone like JT Daniels, who has seen it all at this point, I mean, yeah, he has only started four, a max of four games in each of the last three seasons, but he's been now all over the place and he knows what's BS and what's not. And if I'm trying to figure out how in the world to sell him, I am, I am going all in to come up with the exact right sort of sort of vision. And maybe that is something like Shades of Georgia. Maybe you do want to replicate something like what Todd Munkin is doing. It's better whatever offensive identity Auburn had this past year. They didn't have any off offensive identity to fall back on in the latter half of these games where they're just getting smoked down the stretch. And they didn't have any reliable thing that they felt like was there. Mm -hmm. And even if Tank Bigsby should have gotten the ball more, they still obviously didn't have that connection there. So I think that from that perspective, I'm assuming, obviously, that by the time JT Daniels makes his decision, Auburn will have its offensive coordinator, and that pitch will have already been made. And I'll say really so, quick too. One thing that we talked about, about guys uh, adapting. You know, the the tape is already out with Harson that the story they're going to try to tell you when they fire him is that he was this old school guy who didn't adapt. Wherever JT Daniels goes, make almost no mistake. At this point in his career, a coach is going to sit down with him and say, "You're not going to be participating in a battle here." You're going to come in and be our guy from day one because he has the opportunity to go for. wherever he wants. Yeah. It's not like, and knowing Harson and know what, what we've seen about him so far, he very well might be like, well, you know, you're gonna have to beat up. <laughs> like just to be. Yeah, the, oh, the, yes, you're 100% right. And that, that would be my biggest fear. And if, if we're talking about Auburn's administration having to make some of these adjustments and stuff like that, Harson needs to get with the times with that oh, as yeah. well. And understand that that's a big, big part of this. And if you're saying, if you're listening to this, thinking, why would JT Daniels sign up for that? Why would he sign up to be part of a lame duck coach? If he's going to be gone, who cares? Right. Exactly. Give it's me one year. Give me somebody who's direct. Give him the keys. Yes. And, like, if you come in and be like, hey, you can cook, bro. Do whatever you want. This is your team. Don't care if you throw 50 picks. I'm getting fired anyway. Like, you know what I'm saying? But knowing Hartson, he'd probably be like, well, you know, son, you got to come into camp and work hard. I'm not going to make you any promises. <laughs> yes. Uh, very, very true. And also the benefit of going out and getting somebody like JT Daniels would be, you need help at receiver. Mm -hmm. JT Daniels would bring in a, a, at least a couple of potential options. I firmly believe mm -hmm. that with how fluid the transfer portal is, there would be a couple of guys given how well known he is in the sport at this point, you could say some of that is merit-based, some of it isn't, but that, that, that would allow you to be able to do more things in the transfer portal from that perspective as well. So I think there are a lot of positives there. We'll wait and see if that's gonna be the path or if he's just like, no, this is my quarterback room. This is the way that it's gonna work out. Okay, um, two, two other things that I wanna to get to with this. Mm -hmm. What record would save Brian Harson's job? That, that's something that I've been trying to figure out. And I think it's, maybe it's not so much a record um, as it is just saying, finish in the top 15, Maybe, yeah, all right, you're gonna lose on the road to Georgia, you're gonna lose on the road to Alabama. It's been over a decade since you've won at either of their places. All right. 
finish in the top 15. Don't be an embarrassment in November. Mm -hmm. at, least, at least be in contention for a New Year's Six Bowl and don't have that out the window like first weekend of November, second weekend of November. Have that be on the table going into the Iron Bowl. And that would be the type of year that would make the administration say, see, we're aligned, we've got this figured out. Is that maybe unrealistic? Or do you think that's something that Auburn is very much capable of? Um, so you said you don't have a number you want to stick to. I nine and three is what I can't, what I what I think of when I think like all right top fifteen yeah right ten and two you're ten and two in the SEC as we saw with Ole Miss if you do that in the regular season even if you have a blowout loss to Alabama you're going to be in the top ten going into the, the 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 bowl season so nine and three was kind of the number I had in mind but probably more so top fifteen and keep in mind Auburn hasn't had consecutive ten win seasons since the eighties yep that's a fun stat. It's wild. That blows me away. Blows me away. I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen and that's not necessarily a prediction, but I'm saying that would probably be, if I'm Brian Harson, the number that I know that I have to be able to reach. Yeah, I think, I think real quick on that, it is like their Auburn seasons, the Auburn season this year was a perfect example of it's not which, it's how you lose the games. Because we talked yeah. about it, they started, you know, they were in the top 10, they were like steamrolling teams. Like they were just, in terms of, you know what I'm saying, their offense looked efficient, their defense was on the same page. We were giving them their flowers, especially on defense. And then they just came apart down the stretch. And if you flip those two, this dude has so much job security right now. Coming off of that gust season, if he, you know, finishes the season, even that last season, the way he started the season, and is beating, like if he beats Alabama, for instance, obviously that's it, but really they should have beaten Alabama. Like, let's be honest. They were a ridiculous, like Tank Bigsby getting out of bounds play when no one teaches you to do that away from beating Alabama. If they Do we need to get into that discussion? Because I did an entire Zapruder film breakdown of that for SaturdayDownSouth.com. Go read that right now. Mm -hmm. We can get into that if we really want but you to. Because I broke it down from every angle, and I think Jordan Battle just made an unbelievable play. Oh, I believe it, but you see what I'm saying. They had so many chances to win that game, and so did lots of teams against Alabama. That's why Alabama was great. Is none of those teams, but Georgia won. Um, anyway, so point being, like, if, if they finish the season strong, if they beat Alabama, we're not having any of these questions. We're not hearing it because because yeah. everyone's happy. They're, it's all what is college football? A sport of hope merchants, and they're fresh out of hope right now, right? And so that's the thing. I think like I think the biggest thing what you just said is. Don't be an embarrassment in November, finish strong. I think if they can do that, they can be respectable in the Iron Bowl, because even though that Iron Bowl was a travesty for them, you know what I'm saying? After that Iron Bowl, you weren't going, oh wow, Alabama totally just outclassed them today. You were like, Bryce Young's a really special player, but you were like, hey, you know, Auburn has some pieces on defense here, and they're, they can kind of go punch for punch in their style of game. And now I don't feel like that at all, you know what I'm saying? The, the talent acquisition is going to be such a key part yep. of this whole thing. And I don't know that he is able to, to acquire enough of it to be able to save his job this year. I do think that he still belongs on those hot seats because you can't have a week like that and just pretend like you're in the clear. I, I don't think he's out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. And if he does keep his job, I don't know how he recruits. I think, I think the damage that has been done there will be significant. Mm -hmm. I think for a guy who's still trying to break in, that could be a potential death sentence. And seeing the way that he was talked about by players is the biggest thing among, among anything else. And seeing former players who left, who were maybe onto the NFL draft, 
there were there were some things out there that probably and even current players liking posts from you know former players and stuff like that that's a tough thing to have to overcome mm -hmm. especially when you're just trying to break in and you're still trying to figure out what exactly that's going to look like and your staff right now suddenly consists of yeah you had cadillac williams from the previous staff but man there are a lot of guys there who it's just like yeah they're still trying to figure out <laughs> what exactly the sec kind of looks like and you know they were they're on a staff at boise state or something and you know, it's just a different sort of ball game. And I, I, I think, and that's, that's the part where I actually kind of feel bad for Arson, that it, it, it got to that point, or at least could get even worse. And that might not necessarily be something to his doing, unless, of course, it gets to that point where it is so bad that he realizes he can't be as stubborn. He has to embrace NIL more. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to relate a different sort of way because you saw in year one, yeah, you had some people that, that, that went to bat for you. That's all well and good, but you had way too many who didn't. And they were heard loud and clear. And if you want to be able to show that administration that you can recruit, because if that's what you were really under scrutiny for, when all this kind of hit the fan, you gotta change. You gotta change, adapt or die. That's what we always say on this podcast. Yep. Brian Harson has to adapt, the administration has to adapt. Very clear. All right, let's kick it to Alyssa Lang. Great to catch up with Alyssa. She had such an awesome year. I was kind of thinking about it. I was like, man, you're, you're part of some of these really cool moments and fun, but also kind of these, you know, these, some of the moments that she got to capture with Shane Beamer being there for some of those big wins that South Carolina had. I just felt like Alyssa had this awesome, awesome year. So um, it was great to be able to, to catch up with her, dug into a lot of different things. Here is Alyssa Lang. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Alyssa Lang. Alyssa, I've been wondering about this for the last several days. You were there for Auburn, Arkansas, the court storm, the pandemonium, yet within, I don't know, like a minute of that clock hitting zero, you were in the tunnel with Eric Musselman, somehow away from the madness, ready to roll post-game interview. How in the world did you pull that off without getting trampled? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people were giving me a lot of love and a lot of credit for that, and I can't take any of it. It's really all with the Arkansas Athletics Department and the great SID staff that they have out there. Um, I was standing courtside, you know, before it went into overtime, ready to grab either coach, and then obviously we go into OT, and I go sit back down, and time's winding down, and, you know, it's becoming pretty clear that Arkansas is going to win this game, and I get a text from one of the SIDs at Arkansas, and I hear my producer say, okay, let's not do it in the middle of the floor. We're going to do it in the tunnel. Just go wait there, and, you know, we'll figure it out from there. And I'm like, all right. So I walk over, and I'm standing right at the foot of the tunnel just to make sure that whoever can see me and I can hold the microphone up. I'm kind of short, so I'm always a little worried about getting lost in the crowd. And before Musk got to me, I've never seen – seen a court storm or a field storm just happen that fast like it was just it was yep. so fast like as soon as the game ended I swear there were already 300 people on the floor and I, I we knew it was coming like everybody knew that this was going to be the situation but it was just one of the fastest moving things I've ever seen in my life and I see a group of three or four police officers kind of making a square around Eric Musselman trying to get him off the floor and you know there's so many people all around him so they're trying to get him off and they get to the tunnel and like I said I'm kind of right at the beginning of the tunnel and our camera operators are there and we had some security there as well so that we didn't get in 
any tough situations. And Mus at first just like blew right by me and not, not, he didn't see me or anything like that. It wasn't intentional. He blew right by me and was like going straight back to the locker room. And the SID for Arkansas was chasing him down and trying to grab him and bring him back and go, no, 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 we got to, we got to hit Alyssa. We got to get Alyssa. <laughs> and so he turns around and he kind of sees me. And that's when I noticed that his sling was a little messed up. The, the sling that he has his arm in was just a little messed up. And, um, I had already told my producer, all right, here he is. He's coming back. He's coming back. And when I saw his sling might be having some issues, I, I hit my producer and I felt so bad. I was screaming. I was like, hold on, give him a minute. Give him a minute. And, uh, I leaned over to Moss and I was like, are you, are you okay? Do you need a second? He's kind of like adjusting his arm and he's like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. As soon as they come to me and the light comes on, you know, Moss is just gives me one of the best interviews, I think. I've ever been able to do in my life. And it was awesome. Um, We finished the interview. And I think the funniest part was the fact that I turned around to assess the crowd and how I was going to get back to my seat to get my stuff where my iPad and my phone and everything were like sitting where I was courtside. And by the time I turned back around to think, okay, maybe I'm going to have to go up through the tunnel instead Muss is already shirtless with the sling on and is heading back onto the court. So it was um it was a whirlwind. It was awesome, but I certainly can't take credit for getting Muss that quickly. It was uh, University of Arkansas Police Department, the athletics department did such a great job of making that seamless and it ended up being an awesome post game for sure. I was going to say, did you have to prevent him from taking his shirt off for the interview? Maybe that's why his sling was messed up a little bit. It might have been. He might have been trying to rip it off like as soon as he was coming off the court. I'm not so sure. Uh, He looked at first to me like he was in a little bit of pain, which is why I said, you know, I was telling the truck, hold on, let's give him a minute because I I don't want him to be obviously in in terrible pain doing this interview. This is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be awesome. Um, But, you know, like I said, when I asked him, he was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to get it looked at or wherever he said at the very end, you know, I'm going to get it checked out. Um, and then next thing I knew, shirt is off. By the time I kind of got back around to the tunnel entrance closer to where I was sitting, I actually saw Danielle Musselman, uh, coach's wife, and I just, you know, went over to her and I put my arm on her shoulder. I said, congratulations. And at that point, the Jumbotron in the arena was showing Mus shirtless in the middle of the crowd, and she's just <laughs> kind of standing there watching it, laughing and cheering. And I just pointed at the screen and I said to her, I was like, he's insane. And she just looked at me back and she was like, yep, he's insane. <laughs> and that was it. So <laughs> it was an awesome experience. That, that to me is what makes college athletics so unique. The fact that you can just turn on ESPN on a, on a random weekday night and get stuff like that. that. That atmosphere just looked unbelievable. I mean, and we've seen some really good atmospheres in the SEC this year. Even South Carolina against Kentucky looked like it was bumping and ready to go, a different yeah. result for South Carolina. Was Bud Walton last week against Auburn, was that the best in-game hoops atmosphere that you've ever seen? No question. I mean, without question it was. And and for a couple of different reasons. You know, I got to the arena about two hours before tip, and at one point someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, my, my seat was actually right in front of the student section, and someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, just make sure you turn around in about four minutes when they open the doors and watch the students 
start to sprint in here and fill the stands. And sure enough, you know, I know this happens at other places, but they just came in rabid. Someone's telling me that they're like taking light bulbs down outside and climbing up the sides of the walls, just like getting ready to be let in. And as soon as they came in, it was like they were ready for tip-off within 10 seconds. I mean, it was insane. The rest of the arena wasn't even full yet. And here come the students. Um, it was insane. It was so loud. There, there are a lot of times where I've experienced having to mash my headset, my earpieces, just further into my ears to hear anything. And I was doing that all night long. Um, there was one story that I didn't end up getting to get into the show because it was so back and forth, but... There was actually a kid in the front row of the student section who had a sign. And I saw him before the game, and the sign said, I had a seizure this morning. And so I'm like, what in the world? And I walk over to this guy. I'm like, first of all, are you okay? What, like, are you, are you all right? What's, what's going on? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I was camping out for tickets, and I don't think I was taking care of myself and not getting enough sleep or enough nutrients, whatever it was. And I'm sitting in class this morning, and I started to feel a little funny, and next thing I knew, I was in the hospital and getting cleared, and they gave me my fluids and everything I needed, and, you know, then it was game time, so I had to come here. And I'm like, oh, my, are, are, are you serious? <laughs> like, are you, are you sure you're supposed to be here? Like, are you okay? And he's like, I'm perfectly fine. I've been checked out. I'm not missing this for the world. He still had his hospital bands on. He still had oh, the God. cotton ball under the Band-Aid where they drew blood from him, and he was like, you know what? I'm fine. I made it. I'm healthy. I'm cleared, and this is where I want to be. And that, I think, kind of encapsulates how a lot of people felt about this game and the environment because it was just – I mean, that story's insane. The environment was insane for sure. I think I think we're going to have to start getting it might mean too much into, into basketball because if that's <laughs> yeah. the type of stuff that's happening, oh, my goodness gracious. Absolutely. Um, the 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 atmosphere with the fact that Auburn is number one team in the country like that that's part of it. I also think part of it too can be when there's that future number one overall pick, or at least that's what Jabari Smith is being projected by so many right now. You get to kind of experience what it's like to see him and from from up close, which I think is different. It's different in basketball because when you get to see some of these guys who are just so skilled at their their size, it kind of puts it into a different perspective. What did you take away from from watching him, especially with uh, with the way that he was able to kind of try and at least take over at the end of that game? Yeah, you know, you talk about seeing these guys in person versus sitting in the studio on a Tuesday or a Saturday or whatever it is. I think the first thing that you notice, especially with a lot of these future NBA guys, you walk out onto the floor for shoot around and I'm just going, man, that guy's huge. Oh, my gosh, you knew he was huge on TV, but you see him in person, and, man, he is an athlete. Just the way he moves throughout shoot-around, throughout practice, and then, as you said, throughout the game, it's just so impressive. And, and like you said, anytime you get to see the number one team in the country, no matter what happens, that's a treat. And I know Auburn was obviously down there starting point guard, and, and they had to make some adjustments based on that. But I was really impressed, honestly, from some of the players that I got to talk to, and I, I didn't get to talk to Jabari Smith. I got to watch him and obviously talk to his teammates about him, uh, and they rave about him, obviously, uh, the kind of teammate he is, the kind of talent he is. But one of the things that I asked Walker Kessler, which I, I was really hoping I'd get to have a conversation about this, is one, 
how have you guys continued to, you know, play with this chip on your shoulder and winning these close games as they had done a couple of times before Arkansas, knowing that not only is the SEC so hard to play in right now, you're number one. Like, everyone hates you right now. And they talk so much about, you know, constantly finding that chip and having that same goal. And everybody is really humble in knowing that this is what we need to do to achieve the goal, which not isn't necessarily being number one, but it's winning a national championship. And it kind of goes hand in hand with something else we talked about when I said, you know, between you, Jabari, some of the other big time primary scorers on this roster, so much star power. Like how, how do y'all mesh so well? How are we constantly seeing you guys, you know, have this chemistry, especially when it counts and when your backs are against the wall and, you know, he started smiling, talking about how that's, you know, one of his favorite parts of this team is the fact that everybody is truly on the same page. And even though sometimes the, the assists might be low for some of these specific players, you know, everybody is on the same page and wanting to achieve the same things and wanting to be the number one team and wanting to win a national championship. And it was really cool just to hear how bonded this team really seems to be. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they perform in their next few games, especially after this Arkansas loss. Obviously, this is something that a team like that, you know, they're they're so close. I, I would think that this motivates them even more and lights that fire even more. And I know there were a lot of disappointed Auburn fans, you know, in the arena and watching on TV. But, man, the team that I saw, especially when they were playing well, coming back at the end of the first half and then, making it a much closer game in the second half. Like When Auburn's playing basketball like that, they're, they're a scary basketball team to try to beat. So I'm really excited to see what they have to do the rest of the season to you know, stay in one of those top spots. Jabari Smith is going to continue to wow us, I'm sure. I hope I get to do another one of their games, absolutely. There are two things that I ask you about every single time you come on this show. It is deadlift numbers and you being Tennessee's good luck charm. Where are we at on both of those things? So I have been, uh, I've tried to actually kind of be more transparent on my social media, just about the fact that I have really been slacking in the gym. I, I had COVID to start the year and it hit me pretty hard. And it, even once I, you know, cleared my protocols and kind of got rid of it, I had some lingering things, you know, just tiredness and persistent symptoms that just kind of wouldn't go away. And I was like really struggling to be in the gym. So my deathlift numbers, not super high right now, but we're working on it. So anybody listening, like I've been saying, just get back in the gym, just start somewhere. And hopefully by football season, I'll have a better number to give you. Uh, when it comes to Tennessee, it's funny. I did a Tennessee game last week. It was Tennessee hosting Texas A&M. And Tom, the SID over at Tennessee, put it in the notes that I'm 5-0 and when doing courtside for a Tennessee basketball game. And I'm so, real. you know, a couple people picked it up and they were like, oh, my gosh, well, we'll be fine tonight. And then sure enough, Tennessee beats Texas A&M. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm 6-0 and in basketball. And then somebody was like, well, we need this to extend to every other sport. I was like, well, it has because I've never called a Tennessee football loss either. So True. If, I, if I had to guess, I, w I would say maybe I've done three or four Tennessee games on the football side at this point. So if, if the basketball math is right, it's somewhere between like uh, eight to ten 
wins for Tennessee and no losses for me so far since I've started here. So pretty insane, but I am afraid to toot that record, you know, out, out into the abyss because I'm afraid people will be mad at me when Tennessee finally does lose <laughs> and I happen to be there. So. I don't know, though, because they put it in the notes. If there was going to be a jinx, wouldn't it have been that? I, I would have thought so, and I was a little nervous because I was like, oh, man, you know, I don't think a ton of people knew that this was kind of a fun streak. And then Tom put it in the notes, and, and some people were asking me about it at the arena the other week, and, oh, well, we, we, we better stay perfect. And then I'm like, well, I don't want A&M fans to be mad at me thinking that, like, I'm going in pulling for something, but I got these Tennessee fans who are going to just be so mad at me if I lose this, so – it's been a fun little thing to keep up with, for sure. A very, very odd pattern, uh, for sure, for me in Tennessee athletics. Because it's not like I've called fully, solely cupcake games for them. So uh, they just haven't lost yet. So I, I don't know how much of a good luck it is versus me being at the right place at the right time. But if it gets Tennessee fans to like me, I'll take it. I'm so glad that we're at a place now where sideline reporters and announcers can have fun and not take themselves too seriously. And <laughs> the right time and place, it's just so perfect. And it makes games that maybe aren't national primetime games, it makes them so much more enjoyable and so much better to watch. And you managed to crush all sorts of food this past year. We had, of course, the Will Levis banana deal, the ribs, the mashed potatoes that you ate with your bare hands. I mean, it became this great weekly thing. Like, oh, what's Alyssa gonna eat uh, on the sidelines this week? And I'd like to think that there's maybe like a 10 minute slot in every Friday night production meeting with a full breakdown of what food that you're gonna eat. There, there kind of is, you know, this was, uh, this is something that my play by play partner, Taylor Zarzer wanted to bring back. I guess they, they'd done this at some point before I joined their crew and they've always made fun of me for kind of being the food connoisseur of the group, you know, in a very loving way. So they're like, well, this will be perfect. Alyssa's got a show kind of about food and we can spotlight somewhere in the SEC every weekend that we go. They love to eat. That's like really number one priority whenever we're on the road is is finding somewhere to eat when it's me, Taylor, and Matt Stinchcomb. Uh, So, yeah, we we would definitely go through our production meeting on Friday. And when we got to the line that said, eat like a champion, you know, there was usually a dissertation on, all right, this is where we're going. This is why we're going here. This is what everybody's getting. This is what the shot should look like. Let's show the booth. Let's double box with Alyssa on the field. And, you know, it was a big, um, big production situation for sure to make sure we got the right shots of the local restaurant we were featuring as well as at times the most unflattering shots of me eating it. (laughs) um, You know, when they don't bring you a fork down to the sidelines with with your to-go box, you just got to eat the potatoes barehanded because I wasn't going to let them go. Uh, I hope we do it next year because we still have a lot more places to hit. But, yeah, it was it was fun deciding each week, you know, who was going to decide this week where we were going to go. And, you know, every time we were in Columbia, South Carolina, it fell on me and the pressure was just over the top on me getting a good place. So um, it was so much fun with Taylor and Stinch this year. And I'm I'm happy if it if it brought a smile to people's faces watching their watching their teams play and watching their hometown restaurants, and I'm happy. That's the goal. What's the cleanup situation like? Are we talking moist toilets, 
floss picks? <laughs> like what, what's, how, how, how do you, cause I don't think most people process the fact that if you're eating a rib on live television and you gotta be basically like, Hey, you can't just be the person who clearly ate a rib for the rest of the broadcast. Like how, how do you fix what's, what's happened to be able to kind of move past that? Yeah, I remember having wet wipes for that one. Uh, our great crew had given me some wet wipes, and I usually carry some sort of like towel or or something in my bag just in case. I think, I think the worst symptom of me eating uh, on the sideline was when I was at Texas A and M. It was early in the season. We had these massive cheeseburgers, and I think they had. I think. Stinch was in charge of the food that week. And usually when Stinch or Taylor's in charge, they order me whatever, like, the biggest thing is. Like, I think this burger was called the Hulk. And they're like, oh, well, Alyssa has to have the Hulk. Like, that's that's the burger that Alyssa's getting. So I had this burger that I think was genuinely the size of my face. And it was two patties. And it was huge. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was loaded with onions and cheese and everything. And so... We do it with a couple minutes left in the second quarter. And I remember taking a massive bite and chewing it. And, you know, we're going through this thing. And then I look up at the clock and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get Jimbo in like two minutes coming off the field. And so I'm trying to like clean up my mouth and clean up my hands. And at this point, I'm realizing that I'm, I just smell like onions. Like this, I now just smell oh, like God. onions. It was one of those burgers where you just leave and your hands smell like onions and everything. And I was just like. Oh my gosh. I look in my bag. My gum is empty. My mints are empty. I've got nothing. And I was like, well, Jimbo is either going to be very, very distracted by what's happening on the field right now, or he's going to wonder why in the world the sideline reporter reeks of onions. So uh, we were texted about it in, in our group chat at halftime. And I was like, well, normally I try to pop a mint in before getting in a coach's face and feel bad for Jimbo. Hopefully he didn't notice. So that was probably the worst one where I was just kind of sweating a little bit, thinking that I was going to scare him away or he was going to be looking at me funny like, why do you smell so bad? Yikes. So uh, hope, hopefully my mint stash will stay full from now on. You were not on the, the Mayo Bowl call. And I, I thought Anish, Golik Jr., Taylor McGregor, they made that game so fun. But on a scale yeah. of 1 to 10, how much lobbying did you do to try and get put on that game, especially with <laughs> South Carolina being in it? Or did you pass because you're like, you know what, I've had too many Mayo-based experiences for one year? You know, I, I really didn't lobby to get on it because I don't feel I have that much power in the first place. Um, I was kind of working with the Duke's Mayo Bowl people for some of their events leading up to it because of everything that had gone down, you know, with Will Levis at Kentucky and everything like that, which was great fun. I, I would have loved to, to do the game. I would have absolutely embraced it. But there definitely would have been a part of me that was like, okay, I already did the mayonnaise stuff. Like, I thought I was done. Like, I've, I thought I, you know, paid my dues and I've done this because the mayonnaise and the coffee truly was pretty bad. Like, I, I think I've told people that my reaction on the show, I thought when I watched it back, didn't come off as bad because I was genuinely trying to control myself from, from throwing up. Like, I, I think I was, I was not really, like, over the top or anything. And I was like, you know, people are going to watch this back and just be like, she's just kind of drinking it. It is what it is. But in my head, I was just telling myself, don't throw up, don't throw up, don't throw up. This could be terrible if you puke on television. Um, 
So yeah, long long story long. I uh, hope I get to do the Duke's Mayo Bowl one day. It's a great bowl here in Charlotte, especially like you said this year with South Carolina having been in it. But I didn't mind missing out on dipping Oreos and mayonnaise this time, at least. I uh, I felt like I did my fair share earlier in the season. You got to have a lot of fun this year. It also seemed like you got to see basically every awesome moment at South Carolina. The the Beamer scene post game is so incredible to watch because he's always got his whole family there. And for home games, you get to see Frank in there as well, which hits me a little bit differently because it's this genuine father-son embrace. I just think that's so cool. With you literally having your childhood dog named Beamer, what was it like to kind of take in Shane's rise at your alma mater? It. It's been so cool. Um, it's such a full circle moment. I know we've talked about this before. It's such, it's so full circle for me as a college football fan, having grown up a huge Virginia Tech fan and the Beamer name was just, I mean, used every day in our household, obviously with my dog being named Beamer and, and everything like that. So, you know, especially for my dad and I, my dad's the reason that I'm a big college football fan. And now it kind of feels like it's, the next chapter, not only for me as a college football fan, as and as I've kind of grown up and made this my career, but now for the next Beamer who happens to be at my alma mater. So it's just a really cool thing to share with my dad and then have been able to share a little bit with the Beamer family. You know, I did the South Carolina-Florida game there in Columbia this year. And after South Carolina pulled that massive upset and just, completely dominated this Florida team. I hadn't seen that stadium like that in a long time. And one of the most special moments for me was after the game, after the post-game interview with Shane, as you said, the kids are over there. His wife is over there. You just look at that family and you're like, oh my God, I just want to hug all of you guys. Frank is kind of off to the side. So, you know, we go off to, we go off the air and I walk over to Frank and, I walked up to him and I said, you know, hi, I'm Alyssa. I work for the SEC Network, and I just wanted to, you know, tell you how special you guys have been and how you were the one that made me a college football fan and made me fall in love with this game and following Virginia Tech. And uh, he was looking at me and he was smiling. He was like, I, I watch you. I know your dog's name is Beamer, right? And in that moment, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the best day of my life. And he, uh, he was just standing there so proud of Shane and was just so excited to be part of that. And for me, like 12 year old Alyssa was screaming at the fact that Frank Beamer was watching me interview his son. And then I got to talk to him after the game and it was all at my alma mater. And it's just like, it's just heart exploding stuff. It's just, you know, why we fall in love with college football and, and why we love this game. And it truly has been special. And I, I love the fit. I know I, I talked about Shane Beamer being, uh, somebody who I thought would be a good fit for this job before he was hired. Um, and it's only gone uphill from there. I, I think this program's going to skyrocket talking to the players, talking to the assistant coaches who are within those buildings, even talking to people who aren't on the football staff, people who, you know, are on the video department and are in and out of the building and aren't necessarily on the sidelines on game day rave about how different the culture is and how great Shane Beamer is and how wonderful of a leader he is. And it gives me a lot of hope and a lot of excitement for that program and for the Beamer family because they're great people and they treat everybody right and, and they deserve to find some, some success for sure. So I'm very excited and I hope I get to do a lot more games there while Shane's there.
For all those reasons you just mentioned, I think South Carolina might be the ultimate good vibes program in college football this <laughs> offseason. Like Ole Miss maybe last year, but especially with the way that Beamer has now gone into the transfer portal, you get a quarterback, you get Spencer Radler, and you get to kind of talk about that and add that to the conversation. And we're going to spend the offseason trying to figure out, all right, who's who's the number two team in the SEC East? And I'm probably going to go yeah. a bunch of different ways with this. It's really difficult now with Kentucky playing at this level, Florida, Tennessee's Tennessee fans are feeling really good. That's another good vibes program. Well, how realistic do you think it is to say that South Carolina could be the number two team in the East next year? I, I don't think that it's something that I'm going to sign, seal, deliver at this moment. And, and I think that's obviously fair to say, but I also don't think that it's out of the question. I mean, not that that's exactly where Arkansas was, but looking at where Sam Pittman was in his second year there in Fayetteville, like shows you that nothing is impossible in this in this league. You know, as you mentioned, getting these big names to Columbia, Rattler was a guy who I know didn't have a great year, and there was a lot of up and down and a lot of drama there in Oklahoma. But Shane is a guy who he's known since before he got out to Oklahoma, and they have a good relationship. So I do wonder, you know does Rattler turn a corner? And, and with that being the case, does South Carolina turn a corner? You know, there's so many guys who either left the program after this year and felt that it was in such a good place or so many guys who decided to come back because they felt like the program was such a good place. Last time I checked, and, and not that this indicates success or the health of your program or anything, but for South Carolina, I think it's important. I think there's only been maybe one transfer out of the program last time I checked. I mean, they're very low on the list for players who are opting to leave. And again, I, I want to reiterate that that's not necessarily an indication of a program being healthy, but the fact that there are so many guys there who are going, this is where I want to be. I don't even want to weigh my options anywhere else. Like this, this is where I want to stay, I think says a lot. Um, so I, I, I'm very hopeful because as we said, you know, going into that Florida game, even though we knew Florida was dealing with all sorts of stuff last season, no one was expecting South Carolina to beat Florida like that. You talk about confidence in this conference. Sometimes that's all you need. You know, you don't necessarily have to be top to bottom on the roster, the best, most talented team. Sometimes you just have to have the confidence and the will to win. And when I look at this South Carolina team, I think they have that. As you said, and as I mentioned a minute ago, you know, adding some of these pieces, knowing that Shane is like, okay, I've been through one year of this. Now, hopefully in year two, you know, he's got his bearings a little bit more because it's also not easy to come in as a first-time head coach, especially in the SEC. Uh, I'm hopeful for South Carolina to be in that conversation for changing things up in the SEC East as far as those top teams. Now, you mentioned Kentucky, obviously Kentucky has built quite a machine. I think I like them the most right now for being that team that's number two in the East. Uh, but you also can't count out a Tennessee and what Josh Heupel's been able to do because Heupel and Beamer are kind of on this same track right now with taking a team that had really low expectations and so many questions and bringing excitement back. And I've said this before, you can't put a price on fan excitement. And there's no shortage of that right now in Knoxville or Columbia. That being said, the games we're going to see between SEC East foes next year, I'm already counting down the seconds for it because I think it's going to be so competitive. I think everyone's going to be on that same page as far as, okay, it's us, we're next, 
Kentucky's going to feel like they've got a target on their back because they're one of those top teams right now. And it just makes it so much more exciting when we're sitting here in February, right, talking about the East. How often are we talking about the West? And who's going to be the next team? And is it going to be A&M? And what's Arkansas going to look like this year? What about LSU? And now a lot of the questions are coming out of the East. And, And I think for the conference overall, that's really exciting. There's a rumor going around that you are about to replace Parker White, be South Carolina's next kicker. Can you uh, confirm or deny that? Uh, Yeah, I can uh, deny that that is true as of this moment. I'm still waiting for them to reach out to me because I have made it clear that I do have four years of eligibility left. I I have yet to play college sports. I don't know how my career affects that right now with nil or anything like that i don't even know if um if i would have that option but i did tell coach that i'm ready to go he has seen me go i believe four for four in field goals now i didn't have pads on and i think it was a 20 or 25 yarder so he may need to see some more long distance stuff for me but i am uh willing to try it out if they need me True story. When I started dating my wife, I remember we were on a little jog together and she just sort of casually mentioned that she was her high school team's kicker. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I can actually, I I believe that she's athletic. She's almost six feet tall too. And so I asked her, I'm like, what was your longest kick? And without missing a beat, she goes 42 yards, which was (laughs) the most perfect number that she could have picked because any longer and I would have pushed back. And then if right. it were in the 30s, like you're thinking to yourself, like, all right, I probably would have blurted out a comment like, oh, that's it. And 10 right. minutes later, she told me that she made it up. And it was I was pretty much amazed that she could BS that well. And that was a little terrifying. But I, I say that because you played soccer in high school. Did you ever legitimately look into kicking on the football team? I didn't, honestly. Uh, and I, I wish I had. I feel like that was still kind of before the time that I even like thought that was an option, right? Like I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen a female kicker on a football team. So like as, as kind of sad as it is to say now that thought never even crossed my mind. Like I'm, I'm a girl, I'm not going to play on the football team. So now when I see that and when I see soccer players, when we saw Sarah Fuller <laughs> a few seasons ago do that, it just make it makes my heart want to explode as as a former soccer player and thinking you know I grew up running around in the backyard pretending I was a football player and like wanting to you know be on the field in Blacksburg Virginia scoring a winning touchdown or whatever it was and now there are female kickers on teams who get to live that out like that's really really cool but I, I wish I had done it um, it is funny because. So many people who who don't play soccer, you know, people who I work with who either played basketball or played football, whatever it is, they're like, I don't think I've ever like kicked anything in my life. Like how how do you just kick something? And I'm like, it's funny because I cannot really dribble a basketball very well. Like it's just awkward. I don't really have good hand eye coordination. It's all within the feet for me. So uh, it is funny because when people watched it, especially my coworkers who didn't play foot sports they're sitting here like what in the world and i'm like really it's 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 kind of muscle memory at this point when you play soccer for that long so um any football team who needs a kicker it is still a dream of mine i'm willing and able and ready as long as my employer is cool with it (laughs) last question for you what are your plans to somehow top the mike leach candy interview getting love from ted lasso Oh 
my gosh. That that was this football season was insane. Uh, I I don't awesome. know how I can top that honestly. I think I think the best part of that though was when we had Mike Leach on that next week for our show, and it, we had him in on Zoom. And the great SID there at Mississippi State, Brandon, I think, was holding the phone for him. And the phone started to kind of like droop a little bit and droop a little bit. And so by the end of the interview, all you could see was was Leach's eyes and up, and the rest was just the feeling <laughs> of his office as he's on with us talking about this. And the best part was we welcome him in, and I say, you know, coach, the candy corn stuff, we got to talk about this, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, you know, the uh, the young man who asked me that question after the game, you know, I was trying to give him the best answer. <laughs> so we're all oh, sitting no. here going, oh, my gosh, does, does he think I was a man? <laughs> and so uh, we came back on camera, and I said, Coach, you know, I know a lot of people have asked you about candy corn since then, but I just, I just need you to know that I was the one that asked you that question, and he immediately was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize. Okay, yeah, that was you. And so I have not been able to live that down in the office that Coach <laughs> Leach re- called me the young man who asked him the question, and, and everyone thought that was hilarious. But, yeah, I, I hope I get another Leach interview next year maybe around Halloween, maybe we can top it at that point. But that was definitely one of the crazier moments of this season. Ted Lasso getting in on an SEC Network post-game interview was pretty cool. Unreal, unreal. Alyssa, this has been great. Really, really appreciate the time. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates fullest. You never know what you're gonna get. Figuring out, we're talking Valentine's Day because we are recording this on Valentine's Day. I am wearing red, my Horace Grant, Scottie Pippen, <laughs> NBA Jam shirt. The yeah, two man. loves of my life, of course. Also, shout out to Lauren. Um, but no, uh, Horace Grant is like the love of my sports life, probably, fair to say, mm-hmm. I think. Definitely was on my mind today as I was like, hey, what should I wear today? No, that makes sense. We, um, by we, I mean Lauren and I, by the way, not. <laughs> we'll move past the Horace Grant conversation. Me, um, me and my lover, Horace Grant. We have right, a very romantic evening plan. <laughs> yes. Uh, not a big Valentine's Day couple. Lauren and I have never been. Mm-hmm. Um, only plans this year, grill a couple steaks, have a relaxing night on the couch. Nothing crazy, anything like that. Pretty standard for us. I've probably done like the custom dessert once or twice maybe and we've been together for over 10 years and we used to have this tradition where i'd buy her socks this is going to sound bad it, maybe it is but just kind of hear me out with this because i know there are a lot of people who just heard that and thought you bought your girlfriend now wife socks congratulations i'm still with her so what does that say <laughs> sounds like i will <laughs> sounds like i won um we started dating second weekend of December um, when we were seniors in college. What do you get someone for Valentine's Day when you really haven't been dating that long, especially when you're a college kid with no money? Right. No. Right? Socks is good. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure it, it wasn't just socks. It wasn't like I just said, happy Valentine's Day. Here's this pack of socks. Congratulations to you. I'm pretty sure we still had a nice meal out, so there was still at least part of that. I might have done you know, card, chocolates, or something related to that. But I knew that she needed running socks because she was training for a half marathon and I listened. Again, that's something that we are often, we often forget to do, myself included. Mm-hmm. But back then, 
21-year-old Connor listened, and I heard when she said something about having crappy athletic socks. So I bought her socks, and it worked out extremely well. Then the next year, I think I definitely went the more typical route. Um, but then I was also like, well, do you still need socks? Do you need more socks? And she did. So I, I think I bought her socks the first five or six years that we were together until she finally said, I have enough socks. <laughs> I still haven't opened the ones from two years ago. We need a, a cease on, on the socks. So chill on that. We're almost caught up again though, so pretty soon it's gonna be sock season and I'm going to start buying her socks once again. I can't wait to see this Excel sheet that you have. It's like this sock gift is good for four to six years. Then we're in this, see we're in this yellow area here. This is code yellow. We could, we could get socks here. Sometimes, you know, we play around with different brands, the Under Armour <laughs> socks, a little bit hit or miss, you know, the Nike socks, solid, but there are, there are better ones. She likes very specific ones. She is now, opened up to more types of athletic socks, having got them for as many years in a row as she did. Will, does that make me sound bad? Am I just- No, no, I think, I actually think somebody else commented on that in the group. Like, I, I think that's cute. We, we like, um, we were talking the other day about like how important like traditions are. And like, honestly, like couples with traditions, I feel like kind of hold on to those things. Like, you know what I'm saying? When times get rough or whatever. And so traditions are a really big deal. I think that doing stuff like that, that's like kind of your, your thing that's unique, that's like cute. I think that's very cool and important. Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. That's, that's really all it is. It's more sentimental value than actual value here. I'm not the one who's getting my wife a, a new vacuum or something like that for, for Christmas. I'm not, we're, we're not at that point. Or, or a um, car. Hats off to those ad execs who just think we get our significant other's cars on random holidays. Where, where do they get the bows that big? Right. I don't know. Who, what store sells those bows? I, I think if I went on Amazon and typed in massive bow, I would get absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. That You gotta know a guy to get a bow like that. Gotta have a bow guy. The, yeah, who doesn't, obviously. Um, what do you guys have planned for Valentine's Day? Um, she's actually home sick from work, but I actually told her this already, so this isn't an excuse, so I can say this as loud as I want. We're going to this really nice restaurant in Atlanta called The Optimist, uh, super cool. It's actually like where we've done like a lot of our big date nights. Like, that's one of our traditions as we go there. It's a seafood place, super duper good. Uh, and then yeah, I obviously have a couple presents that I can't say out loud, but uh, just pretty pretty fired up. Big Valentine's Day guy, big, I'm a big like going out to eat, like get dressed up kind of guy, especially the okay. pandemic, the pandemic kind of took, you know what I'm saying, about a year and change of that away from us in Atlanta at least. And so yeah, I'm, I'm fired up, man. I wondered about that. If that changed kind of the way that people people looked at this this uh, this entire day in general. Um, quick rant, very quick rant, and this isn't directed at you. I promise. It's not, okay. It's not. Valentine's Day is dumb if there's pressure on one person but not the other. Yes. Right. If it's up to the guy to plan a million things and do a bunch of extremely sentimental things while the girl does nothing. That's messed up. I think that sucks. And on the flip side, if it's up to the girl to cook this incredible home-cooked meal and buy presents or something while the guy basically just like shows up at the dinner table, that's messed up too. Right. Valentine's Day can be whatever you want it to be, but whatever it is, it should be two people on the same page with the same set of expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm also not big on the agreeing on no presents and then coming up with this expensive gift out of nowhere. Hate, Hate that. that. I'm both sides of it. Don't like that at all. I, I don't like giving or receiving in that spot because then the other person feels bad or I feel bad that there isn't something in return and what's the point of agreeing to doing of agreeing to doing no gifts at all? If it's small, no big deal, totally get that. 
you say no gifts, but then, you know, you get a card, or you get like a tiny stuffed animal. All right, that, that's a cute little thing, whatever, no big deal. But if you're coming out here after a no gifts agreement and pulling out jewelry, I, I don't know. I don't know who you're trying to impress. I mean, I know who you're trying to impress, but I just don't know why that's necessary. I would just be more comfortable with saying ahead of time, hey, I'm planning on getting you something. And if that's met with a, nah, I really don't want anything, then I would just back off and save it for some other occasion. You could actually just pick a totally random time and give that person whatever gift that was gonna be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the better way to do it. Give them a random surprise on a, on a Tuesday that sucks instead of trying to do it on Valentine's Day and trying to put this additional pressure on it. But anyway, that doesn't really have anything to do with what you just said, I realized. No, you're good, you're good, man. No, you're absolutely (laughs) right. Like that's one of those things, like it's like you gotta have expectations. I think that that's a really key factor is like, like knowing you know what you expect from the other person, and like this, this might take a slightly weird turn, but I was having a conversation like with my big group of friends this weekend about like somebody like I, Brittany said something about like her love language, and like my boys were just like, oh, I read an article on that. Like here's my love language. I was like, wow, it's good that people are learning this about themselves because you could do like there are people like fellas, learn your girl's love language because you could yes. if your girl does not care about presents and you spend five hundred dollars on presents and she doesn't care, like it's only gonna hurt you. So you need to be like, if your girl just wants to spend quality time with you and literally all she wants to do is just like, go watch a movie, like watch her favorite movie. It's free and it's it's better. So like, that's a good thing about Valentine's Day is like having a game plan ahead of time and be like, okay, I'm trying to make this person feel special. How am I going to hit those marks and take myself out of the equation? Lauren talks about that all the time. What is what is your love language? That's that's a question that we have discussed many mm-hmm. many times. She has read that exact article that you're talking about, or maybe several articles that you're talking about. Yeah, like she, her and hers is definitely me doing things that exceed her expectations, her low expectations of me. Right. As a guy, I don't blame her for if, if that's her love language, super simple. Pick your shoes up, and you're king for a day. Yeah, sometimes it's sentimental. She still will bring up this one time where she came home from like a really long day at work. And she was expecting, like I was, I was supposed to be, I was, we had, we had agreed I was going to be preparing this, this new dish for us. It was this sweet potato lasagna, something like that. Something I had never made before. I don't really cook a whole lot of sweet potatoes. Um, traditional Irish background here. Didn't really grow up with that. Regular it, potatoes. Quite as much sweet potatoes. Heresy yeah. to the Irish. Yeah, you know, I've, I've grown to like them over the years, but um, I, so I basically like one day. Um, she she came home from work and I had I had everything ready to go and it, it was it was one of those meals where it said you know prep time was 20 minutes but of course that turns into an hour mm-hmm. by the way anybody that has ever come up with prep time for a recipe book terrorist I just want to have a conversation with you okay. an open conversation with you about this world this fast forward world you exist in wherein all these vegetables are already chopped and that doesn't go into your prep time yep. or whatever madness anyways. It was a meal that took like, you know, like an hour, an hour and a half to put together. And I had it like in the oven by the time that she came home and I was outside doing yard work. And so she came home and she was like, I was fully expecting you to tell me that you hadn't prepared anything for dinner yet. And it was gonna be this whole deal and you were gonna need help with it because I'm obviously incompetent. And it was all, it was like pretty much ready to go by the time she got home. And she will still bring this up. That happened almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. And that is her love language. And so doing little things like that, I have noted back in this brain that's I think exists, that that's the way to be able to get myself in good graces with my good graces with my wife. Anyway, enough about me. Let's go to the Facebook group. <laughs> we asked the Facebook group. Um, also, shout out to you, Will, for the new Facebook group, uh, figuring out graphic. Mm-hmm. Love it. Absolutely love it. We look our age. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know if I said this on here before, but Connor sent me this just like perfect manicured portrait with like perfect lighting, and all of my photos are goofy. Like you guys have seen me post on social media. I literally had to cut out like eight wheel heads and just like try to fit them in there. It was a fun time. So like yeah, I I do look like a little bit of a like a like a bully from an eighties movie in that oh, one, but yeah. uh, but but I think it fits. I think it fits our dynamic. <laughs> You've gone full Zoolander in this in this picture. Which I'm okay with. That's fine. Whatever. Mm -hmm. You do you, man. All right. We asked the Facebook group, do you celebrate Valentine's Day or do you uh, try to avoid it? Restaurant, takeout, or stay at home? Gifts, yeah or nah? And your best or worst Valentine's Day experience? Let's start with this one from Matthew Sadro. Matthew says, all we do is order slash make pizza, get each other a fun pair of socks. Matthew gets it. Matthew I'm telling you, it. man and watch a movie at home. We love it and it's easy if it ain't broke. Yep. This is, uh, th this is basically us. I mean, that, that is 100% what we do, uh, down to the, to the socks. Um, we don't buy each other a fun pair of socks. Um, Lauren has not bought me a pair of socks in a minute. That's okay, perfectly fine with that. Got plenty of socks, we're good. She has plenty of socks for now, so we're also good on that front, but 100% support that. You guys are both on the same page. That's key, that's all that matters. Drew Page has a weird one, because of course he does. <laughs> of course he does, yeah. <laughs> Drew says, the weirdest Valentine's Day I ever had was the first one I spent with my ex-wife. What a sentence that is. Love it. Booked what I thought was a nice hotel, but it ended up being behind a Shell gas station and a Waffle House. Oh. Spent half the night at the hotel bar listening to one guy cover Black Crow's songs. Kay. Okay. I don't know why we had to throw Shell under the bus. I don't know why we had to throw Waffle House under the bus, but it did paint a very specific picture here. Um, yep. Totally get what you're saying. The ability to um, pivot off of Valentine's Day plans, I think is key. Mm -hmm. I think when you're not feeling it, you should, if there's ever a day in which you should just be able to flip the switch and say, you know what, calling an audible here. Let's, let's throw this plan out. This isn't what, this is, this didn't meet either of our expectations. There's still enough time to be able to salvage this. Maybe you just go with it. Or maybe that was at the point in, oh yeah, I guess first one that he spent with his ex-wife. Okay, so that's, that's why we got to this point. Okay, that, that, that makes more sense. If you're in year three of a relationship, probably even year two, you probably both look at each other and say, what are we doing? Let's do something else. Right. I would think. Your first Valentine's Day, when you just want everything to kind of be right, you also don't want to rock the boat. And if the other person's having fun and if you're having fun, I guess that's all that matters. But it sounds like it made a very memorable impression, a very lasting impression on you. Um, hanging out at the hotel bar, which from the sound of it, didn't sound like the best hotel bar in the world. I don't want to assume anything here. Well, I don't know Black Crows, so I, I can't quite get into that like that headspace to perfectly picture it. But what was the vibe that, that Drew was giving off by being at this hotel bar? Uh, it all fits. I'll just, I'll just okay. uh, that's the best way I can explain it. <laughs> being respectful to all those brands and bands, it all fits. We'll leave it at that. Jeff Jensen says, my wife and I don't typically celebrate Valentine's Day. We put more of an emphasis on our anniversary and birthdays. Being married for nine years, 10 years this November, it works for us. Yep, that's another part of this too. Um, those two other days are probably going to be more important on the calendar. I would think, you know, 
there's a very specific Valentine's Day window probably. Mm -hmm. Like you remember your, your 10th anniversary more than you do your 10th Valentine's Day together, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody really talks about that, or at least we don't. Um, but I, I, I think that's a, a good way to go about it. And if you can make nice little plans on Valentine's Day, perfectly fine. But when you already have those two other days, it does kind of make it seem like, well, why do we really have to like go all out for this if we're already going all out for those two other days? And if those two other days are even close to Valentine's Day, then sometimes that can make it really difficult as well. Let me ask you a question as someone who's married, it's just figuring it out live on the air. So I obviously remember our date of like when like I asked Brittany out formally. Oh, after you get married, does that date kind of fade off into the distance and it's just replaced with your wedding anniversary? It's a great question that I, I literally was just talking about this with, with uh, one of my poker buddies that I played with on Thursday night. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they were celebrating their uh, 15 year anniversary of dating. Mm -hmm. It was a long time, 15 or 16 years, one of those two. You, you replace the anniversary day. You definitely do with the day that you were married, but it is still a thing. We don't celebrate the anniversary of when we started dating, but as I've said before, that weekend was, was really special because it was the, uh, the, you know, the watch shot against Kentucky, right. Indiana buzzer beater. So like we always are reminded that time of year, oh, it's been X amount of years since that happened. Like this past year, it was our 10 year anniversary of dating. Mm -hmm. So we didn't actively celebrate that in a different sort of unique way. Whereas our wedding, we make sure we, we buy ourselves like a custom cake. We have a really nice meal um, and, you know, give each other a card or, or something like that. The dating thing kind of does get replaced. But for some, depending, sometimes people get married on the day that they started dating as well. So then it's just a super anniversary. That sounds like very efficient. The kind of efficiency I don't really have, but yes. Uh, or some, sometimes people will get married on uh, Valentine's Day or they'll get married on a holiday or something like that. And so maybe sometimes because that shares with something else, maybe then you still also prioritize your dating anniversary. We personally just look kind of treat it as a time to look back on, on that, that specific weekend, but we don't actively um, celebrate it or do anything you know, too specific for it. We just like to be able to kind of talk about it. It's good to know. Okay. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm in, in the minority there. I don't know, I could be wrong. Maybe a lot more people celebrate that, but who knows, you do you. All right, um, <laughs> Sarthic gave us the, uh, Sarthic gave us the, um, the Ron Swanson response. <laughs> Steak dinner, a glass of Lagavulin whiskey, then vigorous lovemaking for two hours and we're both asleep by 8.30. I love Parks and Rec, man. Just, so. Yeah, it's just a dynamite line. He was on, uh, uh, Nick Offerman did uh, like the Ezra Klein podcast the other day. It was just him talking about like nature and like farming for two hours. It was chaos. I loved it so much. He's, he's an American treasure. An interesting dude. Um, his book, not so great. Oh, I bet. Not so great. Had higher expectations. Thought his book would be better. Should have been better. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, Junior Pettyjohn, I always... J.R. Pettyjohn, maybe? The R is lowercase, I don't know. Mr. Pettyjohn says, my wife and I don't really celebrate with gifts and such. Instead, I'll usually make carbonara. She'll grab a bottle of wine, and we will uh, have that while we watch a show on Netflix. At least you gotta set food. That's kind of a sentimental sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Carbonara is pretty, I think, pretty labor-intensive as well to be able to make that. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm an experienced pasta maker myself, having dealt with the sweet potato lasagna, so. 
Better do some wars. No, that's on actually side, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Technically, that's not even pasta because it's not with noodles. It's with sweet potatoes instead, so it's low carb. But so we can't even count that. That sounds like a very lovely night. No problem with that whatsoever. Uh, let's go. All right, we got two more here, and um, you're gonna want to stick around for the last one. <laughs> This one from Lauren Jeffords. Lauren says, celebrate-ish. I'm a teacher, so I pass out Valentines to my students, but my hub and I don't do much. Um, restaurant three days before, less insane, not gifts. V-Day is so unremarkable to me that I can't remember a dang one. This just brought back all those, those flashbacks to elementary school and getting all those Valentines and putting those together and getting that candy. And I, I looked forward to that day. I did not like the process of figuring out what to write on Valentine's and having to pass all those out, which kind of looking back, it's kind of nice just to be able to get a little piece of paper from somebody in your class saying, oh, hey, happy Valentine's Day with a piece of candy attached to it. Like there are worse things in the world. <laughs> I should have dread that. Right. Um, I used to give out uh, MBA related Valentine's to everybody <laughs> in my class. And I definitely... They were all just Horace Grant. <laughs> you get a Horace Grant. You get a Horace Grant. Oh, you don't want a Horace Grant? Sounds like your problem. Uh, you, you say that jokingly. <laughs> <laughs> I may or may not have had a certain hierarchy of if you're one of my better friends, yep. you're going to get one of the better players. Oh, yeah. You got to um, do that. On school Valentine's <laughs> Day, you got you to gotta have your A tier of people that know they're special. Yeah. Uh, sorry. If, if, we're, if we're not buds... You're not sitting here getting a Scottie Pippen Valentine, okay? Yeah. Luke Longley is coming your way. Just get ready for it. Um, Maybe a Rodney Rogers. A Rodney Rogers. Um, I'll say, I don't even know if this is typical. Who did a lot of like weird stuff, but uh, one thing that I've just thought about just now that was like probably pretty traumatic uh, was like our, our school would like, you could pay like a dollar or something and send someone, I guess it was a charity and like send someone a rose in the middle of the day. And there like was- Mean a, Girls. Yes, actually. Just, just like that. Yes. Yeah. And so I don't know if that was a typical thing, but we did it. And I had a girlfriend. I dated like the same girl pretty much throughout high school. And so I never really had to think about it, like how strange this was. But could you imagine just like someone walking in with like f 10 roses and they're just giving them to everyone who has a boyfriend or girlfriend and everyone else is just sitting there in silence like, oh, guess I'm on love. <laughs> oh, got one for mom. Let's go. Everyone thinks that I'm figuring this whole thing out. Let's not say anything. <laughs> just someone to yourself. Right. That. Oh, wow. That's a pro move. I, I, I'm going to send myself one every year if I was single because it's like, who's secret admirer? Who could really say? Yeah. I, don't just send yourself one. Send yourself six, seven at that point. <laughs> Will's balling. Wow. He's got all these options here. Yeah. Oh, you don't know her. She goes to another school. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> strong. <laughs> all right. We'll end with this one. It's from my mom. Um, my mom says, hi, honey. This is your mom speaking. <laughs> which uh, your name gave that away, mom, but thank you for including that, you never know. Uh, we always gave you and your brother Ryan presents, and I remember giving you silver dollars one year. I still may uh, owe you for that uh, because you never did take them to Florida with you, did you? No, I don't think I did, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, Dad and I always celebrated Valentine's Day, he always got me flowers, and we always had a special dinner and treated it as a day to remember how much we meant to each other. That's very nice. And I totally spaced on that because I am not a parent. Getting your kid Valentine's Day presents. I, I'm sure parents listening to this are like, yep, got to do it every single year. Got to make sure that they get something. I don't, 
I don't necessarily think that there's a bad way to go about that. Just make sure that like you could get some sort of money or some sort of candy. Mm -hmm. And I do remember enjoying that. Or when I was so when I was in college too, I'm surprised my mom didn't bring this up. She used to give me like like 20 bucks or something like that and say, go get yourself something yummy to eat. And then I would, and I'd go to Chipotle and get double guac oh, burrito yeah. and I'd have chips and guac and I had myself a night. <laughs> Those parent checks in college, like when they give you a little present, hit so different. Cause you would either, for me personally, I would either do one of two things. I would either go out and you know what I'm saying, just have a nice night out or I would just go to Chipotle. Exactly what you said. Yeah, just load it up. It's a great night. $20 burrito, <laughs> it's just eat like a king, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. Yeah, that made that made Valentine's Day great in college because I was I was single on Valentine's Day for the first yeah three years of college, and then mm -hmm. I think my mom even still gave me money, and I went out and got Chipotle maybe, maybe like the day before Valentine's Day senior year. But yes, um, the parents making Valentine's Day special for their kids that is a nice little thing to be able to do. Um, by the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be after. Well, it definitely will be after Valentine's Day, and hopefully everybody enjoyed themselves and had a relatively chill night. The fact that Valentine's Day lined up the day after the Super Bowl is incredible. That's so perfect. <laughs> all these people were probably like, all these guys were probably that that watched, you know, six hours worth of football and ate all this food and stuff like that. You get a quick day to be able to turn around and just make up for everything that you did on Super Bowl Sunday. Yep. All the football that you made, you know, your, your significant other watch, you get a chance to just flip the script, move on to the next thing, <laughs> and just shower her with gifts. So what I said before, I guess that's kind of thrown out the window when you have Super Bowl Sunday the day before. Yeah. A little bit of a different scenario. Um, yeah, but um, we have huge, huge guests coming up later in the week. Mm -hmm. um, very, very excited. First time guest. Somebody that we've been trying to get on this podcast for a long, long time. Have not recorded it yet, but super excited about that. Um, if you have not yet, I know we've talked about it a decent amount here, but Blue Chip Grits is our new basketball newsletter. Our guy, Adam Spencer, he launched that with the help of Dustin Schutte, Spencer Davis, Derek Peterson. And once again, it is such a great resource for getting ready for March Madness, being more informed about college basketball. Super, super easy. All you gotta do, bluechipgrit.com. Put in your email address, put in your favorite team, and then that's that's gonna take care of it. It is 100% free, and you don't have to worry about it spamming you or anything like that. You're gonna get everything that you need to know condensed in that one small email. You're not gonna have to sift through social media and do that whole thing. So cannot recommend it enough. Blue Chip Grit, get the newsletter right now. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast if you have not already. Join the Facebook group and hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.